0: So today, um, I am going to do my very best to get out of the way to share with you a message um, that I feel like is something that we all need to hear. Today's message is going to be titled, A Picture of the Father, and uh, we're going to see through the life of Caleb. Some really neat things. But before I do that, I'm going to give you guys a recap because, you know, I love a good recap. It's just the way we roll here. Um, So last week we entered into uh, Joshua chapter 15. And as we entered into that message or that series, we were in a message that was called Blessings Have Boundaries. Okay. And what we did was we looked at the tribe of Judah as they were receiving what they had been given by God for their faithful service unto him. God delivered them a massive uh, territory in the land of Canaan, which is their promised land. And what we saw was it was very specifically delineated by the borders that God listed. And what we did was we consolidated or took the concept from that and we realized that there was a truth in the boundaries. And what we did was we started to establish and understand why there are boundaries. Why does God give us boundaries? The first thing we noticed was this, so that that people can thrive when they stay within the boundaries. God gives us boundaries to protect us. And what we found was the fact that we use David as an example. David, the man after God's own heart, a wonderful, wonderful example to follow in many ways in his life. But what we found with David is we started to see this truth lived out in David's life. And what we saw was the fact that when David stayed within the boundaries that God established for him, that guess what? He thrived. He absolutely thrived. He thrived as an individual in his personal life. He thrived as a man. He thrived as a leader. And eventually, he would thrive as the leader or the king of all of Israel. So we saw God bless him for staying within the parameters or the limitations that he'd established for him. And what was really interesting about David that we found was that during this time, David was incredibly humble. David was very, very submissive to the will of God. This was his desire was not even get close to the boundaries that God had established, actually to stay far and well within them. But then what happened to David was sadly what happens to many Christians. David began to, be, began to become what's called dissatisfied or discontented. And what that does when we're discontented is it causes us to sense, to look at the boundaries in our lives and to think that we need to go beyond them. There's something more that we need. And what happened with David, we know David's story with Bathsheba, right? He stepped outside of. The boundaries, but what we find is the fact that David was no longer satisfied within the boundaries. And what we did was that took us to the to the next facet that we understood about boundaries, which is when we go outside of the boundaries that God establishes, that we face destruction. Okay, God had placed that boundary to protect David from himself. So what David did was he became dissatisfied, and then what he did was he willfully exceeded the boundary. He broke through where he was not supposed to go. And what we found was when we went through the Ten Commandments, five of the Ten Commandments, David broke. We could take the commandments and we could call them boundaries because that's basically what they are. This is what you should do. This is what you should not do. David took five of those boundaries and he absolutely destroyed them. And the result of that was the fact that David suffered on a personal level. David suffered on a family level. And generationally, the the Israelites as a whole, the entire nation, suffered great devastation throughout history and to this day still suffering with the devastation of David's choices. But what God does is he tells us, hey, listen, if you'll stay within the boundaries I establish for you, then I will bless you mightily. There is something available to us, which is called the peace of God right? In Philippians 4, 7, it talks about that. It says, the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. What it means is outside of our ability to comprehend as a human being, this is a peace that the world doesn't know anything about. It's a peace that only a Christian can know. It's about a relationship with the Lord. It's about fellowship with God. So within the boundaries, we can experience that. Outside of the boundaries, we will suffer devastation, and there is always going to be suffering. And so what happens is God says, listen, I've given you this boundary to keep you you safe, to try to keep you from falling prey to yourself, because our problem many times is us. People think the devil's all, it's always the devil made me do it, the devil made me do it. No, 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 <laughs> no, you did it. <laughs> I do it, right? We, 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 we. Our flesh is our problem. It's our unwillingness to trust and, and, and lean on God, but trust in ourselves that becomes our problem. The devil may set a little snare for us, but once that snare is once we step into it, man, the rest is us. So what we find is, in the fact, there's this principle of sowing and reaping, which we visit on a very regular basis in this church. Sowing and reaping is a principle that exists in nature. It's an exi- it exists in the Christian walk. We see it repeatedly referenced in Scripture over and over and over again. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. It's a promise from God. Then it says this, For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit of, shall reap of the Spirit rife." Everlasting. So we see God says, listen, if you'll do good, you'll do the right things. You'll live within the parameters. Guess what? You're going to receive blessings. You're going to be blessed and God's going to meet your need. But guess what? If you step outside of that, prepare yourself for destruction because it is on its way. David could not hide what he had done from God. And guess what? Neither can we. No matter how sneaky we may think we are, God sees it all. And so what we find is God has established these boundaries to keep us and protecting us from our own carnality, but also he's established the boundaries so that if we want to succeed, we can understand what it's going to require of us in order to actually experience success. So with that truth kind of established for us as we enter into chapter number 15, what we're going to do now is we're going to revisit Caleb. Caleb is going to show back up and this is going to be sort of talking about him specifically and the mission that Caleb had, which was to lead his people, the tribe of Judah, in accomplishing what God sent them to do, which was to conquer the land that God had entrusted them to do. And what we see is we've looked at Caleb, we've seen him as a faithful man, we've seen him as a faithful servant, we've seen him as a faithful leader, but today we're going to see him from the perspective, as I said before, as a picture of the father. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of this time uh, over your word and in your word. I do so, uh, Lord, ask you that you would please, would you speak to us? God, no one here needs to hear from me. Uh, And, um, Lord, we need to hear from you. So, Lord, I do pray that you take hold of the service. I pray that, God, you would direct my mind, my heart, uh, my tongue, Lord, that I would not get in the way. Lord, I pray that you'd remove the human element from this message. And, Lord, that you would speak mightily to us. And, Lord, would you use uh, what we learn that you could work through us. And uh, Father, I just want to give you thanks in advance for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Joshua chapter 15, verses 13 through 19. And it says, And unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a part among the children of Judah, according to the command of the Lord to Joshua, even the city of Arba, the father of Anak, which city is Hebron. Uh, and Caleb drove thence, and three sons of Anak, Sheshai, Ahaman, and, ba- and Talmai, the children of Anak. And he went thence to the inhabitants of Debir. And the name of Debir before was Kerjathsefer. And Caleb said, he that smiteth Kerjathsefer and, and taketh it to him will I give Achsa, my daughter, to wife. And Othniel, the son of Kinaz, the brother of Caleb, took it and he gave him Achsah his daughter to wife, and it came to pass as she as she came unto him, that she moved him to ask of her father a field, and she lighted off her ass, and Caleb said unto her, What wouldest thou? Who answered, Give me a blessing, for thou hast given me a south land, give me also springs of water and he gave her the upper springs and the nether springs. Now, verse 13, again, reintroduces us to Caleb. Okay, It reintroduces us to the commitment that he had made. Remember, it was all about Hebron. That was his issue. He wanted to have that city, that city of giants. Now, we will look back into our Joshua study. We know this is the city where the giants dwell, which is the city of Hebron. So what we're going to see today through Caleb's actions as well as his words is the fact that Caleb is, first of all, going to be a man of his word. We're going to see that Caleb will challenge his people to face evil. We'll see that he rewarded faithfulness with his very best and that he lovingly exceeded his children's expectations. It's a beautiful picture of our father in Caleb's life. So what we see right away is the fact that, listen, Caleb immediately does not waste any time in fulfilling the commitment that he had made. Remember, not only had he made this commitment about conquering Hebron before his fellow uh, human beings, I guess, whatever, his brothers, uh, but he'd also made it in front of Joshua, and he had also made it in front of God. So he made this commitment in front of these folks, and he says, you know what? I'm not going to waste any time. Right away, I'm going to go to and do exactly what, what was given to me. We are going to see that Caleb proved that he was a man of his word. Verse 14 says, And Caleb drove thence the three sons of Anak, Sheshai, Ahaman, and Talmai, the children of Anak. So in order to prove this point that he was fulfilling his word, what we need to do is go back and look at Caleb's commitment. Where did he commit to doing this? Now, immediately following the rebellion of the 10 spies, when they initially went into Canaan, and they came back and they were all freaked out, right? This is what Caleb said to those spies. He said in verse numbers 13, 30, and Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once right now and possess it. For we are well able to overcome it. They said we saw giants; they're going to kill us. It's going to be awful. It'll never happen. And he goes, no, 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 no. Right now, we can win this thing. Now we know that the people rebelled against him, but what we see is his complete confidence in the victory. He's not doubting in any way, shape, or form at all what's to come. David, and his, and his in his trust and his in his um, faith in God, has not wavered. It has not changed. Caleb knew in his heart that God would keep His word. And what we saw with Caleb is why is he a picture of unwavering faithfulness? Because he lived his life on a day-to-day basis by faith. He did not live in fear. He lived by faith. This is something we all need to learn, something we all need to, to embrace. Living a life that is constantly weighed with fear, boy, it's an indication of our faith. We've got to learn to trust God. God knows what the future holds, and we've got to hold on to that fact that he not only knows what's coming, but he loves us. And he's going to allow circumstances sometimes to teach us something or to work in our lives. God promised back in Deuteronomy uh, Deuteronomy 1, verse 36, To Caleb, save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it, and to him will I give the land that he hath trodden upon, speaking specifically about Hebron, and to his children, because he hath wholly followed the Lord. So for 45 years, Caleb has held on to that promise. For 45 years, he has battled alongside of his brethren. He has lived through the wilderness and all the challenges that have come. And he's watched many of his countrymen die. He's gone through lots of adversities and dealt with all kinds of challenges. And yet, Caleb has not lost faith. He has said, you know what? God made a promise, and I know my God. He is a man of his word. He will not let me down. And so what does he say? At the end of that 45 years, he then goes to Joshua, and this is what he says to Joshua in Joshua 14. We just saw it a few weeks ago. This is Caleb. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake, his word, uh, spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. I'm eighty-five years old. And yet, I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now. Remember, his strength back then was his strength was faith. He says, Listen, my faith hasn't changed. He says, My strength is now for war, both to go out and to come in. Verse 12 Now therefore, give me this mountain. He's talking about Hebron, whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims, that's the sons of Anak, the giants, were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. He says, man, I'm holding on to exactly what God said to me. And you know what? If you'll give me that land, you know what I'll do today? I'm going to go right now today and I'm going to go handle those giants. Just go ahead and give me the word. And so what we see is the sons of Anak. That's who he's going to talk about. It's exactly what he's doing in verse number 14. And Caleb drove thence the three sons of Anak, Sheshai, Ahaman, and Telmai the children of Anak, the sons of Anak, otherwise known as the Anakims. Numbers 13, we saw that those spies, when they returned, those 10 fearful spies said, this is the sons of Anak in verse, Numbers 13, 33. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, as so we were in their sight. And so there is no question who it is that Caleb has addressed and who he's dealt with. He has driven out three giant leaders and all of their followers. But what's interesting, as Caleb is taken Hebron for God. He's doing exactly what God had told him to do. Listen, Caleb is not a man of empty promises. He's not a man of half-truths. He's a man that if he tells you he's going to do it, guess what? He is going to do it. And guess what? That's exactly how God is. Numbers 23:19 says this, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should that he should repent. Hath he said And shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? If God says it, he is going to follow through. Caleb, like God, follows through with his commitment. This is what our faith is built upon. Our faith is built upon the fact that God can be trusted in any circumstance, in any situation, and no matter what the world may say, we hold on to what we know to be true, not what we believe to be true. And that's the thing, the Word of God, this is why the Bible talks about that, this Word has been preserved, right? As silver tried in a fire seven times, God has preserved His Word and He's preserved His promises so we can hold on to these things. So I don't need to go through life going, man, I hope He doesn't blow it this time. He's been consistent up to, but duh, He might let it go. No, this goes all the way into eternity. This is God's story. And He's always, always, always does what He says He's going to do, always. You can bank on it. You can live your life on it. You can have your faith built upon it. That's why our faith works Because we're faithful, we're trusting in a faithful God. I'm not holding on to something with hopes and dreams. I'm holding on to an assurance and a foundation that is truth. There is but one truth. I don't care what the world says about people saying, well, this is my truth. This is the truth to me. uh, No. (laughs) There is either truth or there's untruth. right. Right? There's black or white. That's the way this thing works. There is no gray area with God. He says, you're either my friend or you're my enemy. If you're in the middle, guess what? You're lukewarm and you make me sick. Right? He says, you pick where you're going to be. So God keeps his commitments. We can always trust and hold on to that fact. So what we see here is James chapter one, verses two through four says this, my brethren, count it all joy that when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire wanting Nothing. What we're talking about, this is God allows adversity. God allows challenges. He allows things to come into our lives because, listen, he says, you know what? No matter what you go through, I am there. No matter what you go through, I'm going to use this. No matter what you're going through, though right now you may not understand it, trust that my ways are not your ways, and you may not even understand, even in this lifetime, why something happens. But there will come a day when we will see in our life, through from a heavenly perspective, we're going to look and see and go, Wow. It's like this. If you've ever seen a tapestry before, like a, like a needlepoint, right? If someone ever does a needlepoint, if you've ever done that or seen someone who does a needlepoint, what's interesting about it is the fact that when you look at it, on the top, it's beautiful. It's so crisp and so clean. It's all the beautiful white and all the nice colors and everything's all nice and orderly. But if you ever flip that thing over, oh, it's not so orderly. It's knots and all. But they're not worried about that part. that you're not. You know, you're, you know that side, they don't think you're going to see that. They're not going to display that. It's not going to be glass back so you see that. They want you to hide that part. But to understand, the more complex the image on the front, the more of a mess it looks like on the back, okay? And so when we think about life, if you and I are living in this world and we're looking around from our perspective, we're looking at the back of the tapestry and we're going, that's just a bunch of knots and that's, that's a mess. What in the world? That has no possible purpose, right? I look at a circumstance in my life and I go, there can be no good in this. There's no reason why this person in my life would suffer. There is no reason why I would have this loss. There was no reason why this thing would be done to me. There's no reason why this person would tear my character down. There's no reason why I would fail or I'd have this adversity or I'd have this illness. There's no reason for it. And we're looking at the knots. But see, if you had the perspective that God does and you could look at the other side, you'd be like, oh, wow. (laughs) That's the most beautiful part of the picture. That's the most intensely detailed part of the image. How beautiful. How beautiful that is. And so what we have to do is trust the artist instead of trusting what we see, right? We can't look at the strings and judge the picture. We see the picture from the perspective of the author or the producer, the one that makes it, the artist that does it. So we understand as we're reading this James 1 verses 2 through 4, my brethren, speaking to the church, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. That says, listen, things that are very difficult, right? Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, okay? Patience. This is the patience to be willing to wait on God in the midst of tribulation and not fall into fear or despair, but to say, God, you know what? I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand, but I know you do. And I'm going to hold on to that fact. I'm going to have peace in the midst of the storm because that's all I can do. I can just live by faith and I know you're a consistent God. So I'm just going to trust in you. That's what it's saying. Verse four. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. He says that I, perfect, that word perfect in the old English means to be matured. He's maturing our faith. He's making us better. When anxiety arises in our heart, what does it do? It reveals to us that we've lost sight of this truth. That we've lost sight of this foundational thing we have to understand is that God works through adversity again and again and again and again. We see it in Scripture through people that lived in the Bible, but also through just through through, through exhortations in Scripture. Romans chapter eight reiterates this same point in Romans twenty eight uh, through twenty nine, and we know that all things work together to good uh, for good for them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. This is like the, the GPS in your car. Right? It takes whatever you put in there, whatever bad decision you choose, it will redirect it. Right? If it says to take a right and you go and make a left, it doesn't go, well, you're on your own. Good luck. I'm done with you. You know, this whole GPS thing is ridiculous. I quit. No, it just goes, uh, recalculating. And then you're like, well, I'm going to make a right here. And then it's like, oh, gosh. Recalculating. And I'm going to make a circle of here. Uh, recalculating. Again and again. No matter how bad you go off, it's always recalculating. And if you just finally listen, you'll get up where you're supposed to go, right? That's what this is talking about. God works all things together for good. Those bad choices that we make, he'll work all of it out. Verse 29, what's the purpose? Why is he doing this? For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to become what? To be conformed to the image of his son. He says those adverse situations, circumstances you go through, it's all about shaping you to look more like Christ, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Every single circumstance and situation we face is being used by God to shape our faith. And we all just want to have faith. We just want to have this amazing faith. But I can tell you this: if your faith is never tested, you don't really have faith. You might have a belief system, but if you can't hold on to it, then you don't really have faith. Again, understand anxiety in the midst of our circumstances when we do have it. Listen, is an evidence of the fact that we're not willing to trust God's word. And not only is it an evidence that we're not willing to trust God's word, but it's also evidence that we don't trust God's character. Okay? And if we don't trust God's character, it's because we don't really know God. You may have a perception of who you believe God to be. You could have a religious uh, connotation or concept of God, but the reality of who God is is displayed for us in his word. See, God lays himself out and gives you this amazing, intricate image of himself. We get to see God's heart and the way that he deals with different individuals throughout Scripture. And so as you read stories many times, we go, wow, how does it relate to me? Right, we're we're reading about Caleb. This is thousands of years ago, dealing with a situation and circumstance. But you know what? Today we're going to see it's a a direct thing that we can learn from. The whole Bible is designed for that. It's not written for us, but it is written to us. It is written for the fact that God wants us to understand it. It's actually written to, tell, to show us who God is. And so what happens is we go to the Bible looking for what it is it's going to give us. It's kind of like having a relationship, and every morning you wake up, and you, I talk to my wife, and I go, so what are you doing for me today? <laughs> That's all I'm really concerned with. What are you doing? Right? That's not a very good relationship. Right? I want to know about her. If I'm a good husband, it shouldn't be about me at all. It should be about her. And guess what? In our love relationship with God, if you're going to the Bible and all you're going to is God, what do you got for me? That's what you're saying. It's all about me. How are you going to fulfill me? What are you going to do for me? But hey, what, is it? what if we said, hey, look, God, what do you want to do through me? How can you use my life for your glory? How can I get to know you more intimately? How can I fall in love with you more deeply? How can I understand myself more clearly because I understand you more clearly? It's a beautiful thing. So God wants us to know his character, to know his word, and that's how we do so. So listen, it also reveals, again, like I said, about his character. Now, none of us want to admit this. We don't want to admit the fact that sometimes we doubt God's character. But can I tell you that the anxiety in our life that we live with every single day admits it for us. When we're around people and all they hear is all of our worries and all of our fears and all of our issues, you know what I'm saying? I don't trust God. I don't trust God. I don't trust God. Now, I'm not telling you you're not going to experience those things because guess what? We're human, and we're going to experience them. But we have to remind ourselves every single time we get caught up in these moments because there's not one of us that can't get pulled into a dark tunnel, right, a dark place where you end up going, ah. But you've got to have that realization. What's the rope? What's the thing that's going to get me out of the dark? It's God. I can't tell you how many people I have walked through some dark roads in this life. And man, you can be right there with them, but it does not help. I can't help anybody. But, buddy, when God steps in, oh my, oh my, does He pour light into darkness? Does He show hope to hopeless people? Does He restore the broken? And it's such an awesome thing to witness, right? The cool thing about going to Malawi, and I, man, I wish all of y'all were getting on the plane with us and going today, man. I'm telling you, it's going to be awesome. But the coolest thing is to watch God restoring people that are suffering. And it's amazing. People that are hopeless, that are trusting in religion or, or voodoo or whatever garbage they've got. And to hold finally able to hold on to the one true God and have the faith to know that God's with them no matter what it is they face. Man, what a beautiful thing. And we get to witness that. It is incredible. So God is a God of his word. We've seen that picture in Caleb as a man of unwavering faithfulness. And what we did was we directly related Caleb as a picture of God and the fact that God is the ultimate example of unwavering faithfulness. No matter what you go through, he says, I will never, never, never leave you nor forsake you. Forsake means turn his back. He said, no matter where you go, no matter how dark it may seem, I am there. All you need to do is turn to me. If you don't feel me, it's not because I'm not there. It's because you're not willing, right? Things in our life become like insulation between us and God. And the more stuff I have going on in my life that's not godly, the more insulated I am from the love of God. And as I start to remove those things in my life, guess what? That love, boy, it starts to warm me up. I can feel them coming. And I start to remove stuff. Guess what? Here he comes. Oh, more things come out. Well, here he comes. More things come out. Here he comes. Here he comes. Here he comes. Woo! Man, oh man. I feel like I could charge hell with a squirt gun right now. I'm ready to go. The only thing that's changed is my heart. I've gotten out of my own way. And God says, Hey, you know what? I've been here the whole time. You just couldn't, just couldn't feel me. God is a man of his word. Second, we find out that Caleb is an example. He challenges people to face evil. Verses 15 and 16 says, And he went up thence to the inhabitants of Debir, to the name, uh, and the name of Debir before was Kerjath Sefer. And Caleb said, He that smiteth Kerjath Sefer and taketh it to him will I give Asha, my daughter, to wife. Now, here Caleb is calling uh, God's people to assault the city of Debir. Now, our passage shows us that it's actually called Kirjath Sefer. And what's interesting, Kirjath Sefer, I don't know what it's relevant, but it means city of books. But if we go back into our study of Joshua and we go back into chapter number 11, what we found was this was the southern campaign. When they first got in there, the first big campaign where they pushed down and they started addressing evil in the, city, in the, in the land. Well, Debir was in that very first thing. So what we're looking at, this is back in Joshua chapter 11, verses 21 through 22. This is in that at that time came Joshua and cut off the Anakims from the mountains, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, and from all the mountains of, of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel. Joshua destroyed them utterly with their cities there was none of the Anakims left in the land of the children of Israel only in Gaza in Gath and in Ashdod there remained and so if the giants had been wiped out from these cities which we see Hebron and Debir and all these places they'd been dealt with in that first campaign on the front half why is he having to deal with them on the back half now interestingly enough that means that the giants that are there now the ones that he's just driven out they must have come from somewhere else now where would they have come Well, it says Gaza, Gath, or Ashdod. Recognize that the time frame from when this has happened, that southern campaign took place, where we are today is five years later. What we remember whenever God was telling them about how he was going to move the enemy out, he said, I'm going to do little by little, right? He doesn't want that city to sit abandoned for five years and get overgrown and become a mess. What he does is actually has a population they're caring for the city. So when the Israelites are ready, that land is prepared. They're going to move into a city that's in good condition. The animals and stuff have not taken it over. So God's working. It's all, God's got a plan through it all, right? Even the fact that it's been refilled with people, it's all about caring for the land that they're going to they're going to possess. So we see that per Debir fell for the first time. And what's happening now is Debir is being, they're challenged to go in and to, to take it again. Now this, uh, what's interesting is that he doesn't just challenge them. He also offers to reward them for doing so. Notice what he said. And Caleb said, verse 16, he that smiteth, he Sefer and taketh it to him. Will I give Ashsa my daughter to wife. And so not only is Caleb challenging them to do what's right, but he's actually offering them a reward for doing so, okay? Now, interestingly enough, remember the fact that we talked about in the past how God works, right? God is a God of conditional. He's a conditional God. The fact, he says, if you'll do this, I'll do this. And so what we find here is the fact that God is asking of them. He's given them a, a, a responsibility, something there to do. We know that last week we talked about God rewards faithfulness. And what we see is the fact that God not only pictures uh, not only do you see picture the fact that he rewards faithfulness, but we also see that there's another aspect to it as well. What's so cool about this is Caleb is challenging them to do something that they're already supposed to do. This was their God-given mission. They were sent there to conquer the land. So why on earth is he giving them incentives to do so? Well, he's revealing something to us about God. God is a God of grace. God is a God of abundance. Grace. Grace is a terminology. It means basically to give something that is undeserved. Okay? So something is completely undeserved and you just give it anyway. So we think about this every day. If we really pay attention, we always talk about having a thankful heart around here. Having a thankful heart. Wake up, have a thankful heart. Thankful heart. Thankful heart. Because listen, if we recognize the fact that every single day God does amazing things for us. God displays his grace to us every single day through our family, our health, our talents, abilities, all the things that we receive every single day. Now we think about this, God suffered, Jesus suffered on the cross and suffered the crucifixion to offer us salvation, to offer us eternal life. Now that should have been enough, right? Romans 12, 1 tells us that our reasonable service is to give back to God, to give ourselves a living sacrifice. But what we find is the fact that God, because he's a God of grace, doesn't just do that. It's not just about salvation. After that, he offers even more. He offers incentives for us to do what it is he's asking them to do. Remember, it's all about the promised land. It's about conquering the promised land. That's the picture here. So what he's telling them is, listen, if you'll go do this, if you'll do this, guess what? I'm going to bless you even additionally. It's not just about me giving you the land. I've already done that. It's yours. But now, guess what? If you'll do what I've asked you, I'm going to bless you to do it. And this is a really, really cool thing. And what it's showing us is the fact that, listen, if we're going to possess our promised land, it's going to be a matter of us denying ourselves recognizing the fact that we need to be submitted to God, and in walking in submission to the Lord, guess what he will do? He will bring the victories. God goes above and beyond. He's literally giving us opportunities to be blessed additionally above what it is we've already been given. And it's so cool the way that he works. Listen to the challenges he gives to the church in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, 18. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, And I will receive you, in verse 18, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. I won't just be your creator. I won't just be your savior. I am going to have an intimate love, father-child relationship with you. So the very minimum was that I saved you. But guess what? On top of that, I'm going to offer you this as well. But all I'm going to ask of you is you just don't touch the unclean thing. Hey, why don't you set set yourself away from the world? Separate yourself. John, 1 John 1, 9 says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says, you know what I'll do? I'll give the unrighteous righteousness. I will provide for you. I will love you. God always has a heart to bless his people. And the problem is people think that God is this God that wants to hurt people. That he wants to judge people. No, you must realize that the judgment we are facing on this earth and the adversities that we deal with is a result of our own rebellion and our own sin. So many times we live our lives and we make choices that have bad consequences because we stepped outside of the boundaries that God established for us, and then we're going, why would God allow this? God said, hey, if you do this, bad stuff's going to come. And we're like, yeah, it doesn't really mean what, he, whatever. And we go do it, and then we're like, wow, what bad things happen. That's a terrible and we act as if we should like we're shocked, and it's unfair. God has given us the boundaries to function within, and He says, "Listen, I want to bless you, I want to use your life, I want you to experience this incredible love relationship." And it leads us to the next point, which is the fact that Caleb rewarded faithfulness with his very best. Verse seventeen says this: "And Othniel the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it, and he gave him Achsah his daughter to wife." Caleb isn't offering riches or wealth. He literally, look at him, he's offering his own flesh and blood. How interesting. His own flesh and blood. He's offering his very best. And you know what? That's what the God does for humanity every day. Every day. Not just offering us life through salvation, but offering us the abundant life. Right? We see it described for us in John 10, verses 9 through 11. He says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Verse 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have life, they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Can't you just hear the heart of God in that? Listen, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep, right? He's there to provide for them, to care for them. But ultimately he says, you know what? I will die for them. And I want to have a love relationship with my children. I want you to be be reverent of me. I want you to understand the relationship that we can have. It's going to be a beautiful thing. See, the Lord always gives his very best, literally giving his own flesh and blood. Consider the cross. And all it takes is simply faith. It takes faith. The faith of a child. Jesus describes it that way in Luke chapter 18, verse 17. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. And it is with that childlike faith that we receive the gift of God. There is no ceremony. There's no great understanding. The night I got saved, I didn't know anything about God. Nothing. I was clueless. I'd never heard the gospel in my entire life. Everything I knew about the Bible, I heard in that 30-minute conversation that we had. And as Tony broke it down and showed us who Christ was, I was like, wow, that's cool. Wow, wow. Check it out. Wow, 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 wow. And then, wow, and realizing the personal aspect of how it touched me, I was like, What? And I could receive it by faith, what? And like a child, I just said, you know what? I'm gonna trust that what this man is telling me because you know what? For whatever reason, it's resonated in my heart as truth. And you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna realize the fact that, you know what? I need that. I need Christ. And it wasn't about having an intellectual understanding of who he was. It was in my heart just saying, you know what? I'm gonna receive him by faith. And that's all it takes. By faith, we receive the Lord Jesus Christ, the gift of God, which is the eternal life through him. And in doing so, we enter into a relationship. We enter into a relationship that can be unbelievable, can be unbelievably fulfilling. It can be intense. It can be so rewarding. And you know what's so cool in that kind of relationship? If we really embrace it, the cares of the world, they just fall away. The things that we used to stress about and see so worried about, they're gone. Now, notice that I said it can be. Not that it will be. Okay? So what's happened is we have an opportunity. We get to determine how intimate our relationship is with God. He's always all in. Amen. Right? He's always all in. He's the ultimate picture of faithfulness. But then there's us. See, he's the husband, we're the bride. And you know there's a lot of relationships where one one is all in and the other's halfway in. That's tough. That's tough. That's really, really frustrating, I'm sure, to that one that's all in. And, man, I cannot imagine from God's perspective, watching my life, how he's not just like, "Hey, dude, just get it together, man. I've told you what to do. Just do it. But guess what? We all struggle. Some days we're faithful and some days we're not. Some days we've got ears to hear. Some days we're kind of deaf. Some days we're full of ourselves. And some days we're all about submission. And God's saying, hey, listen, you know what? You determine how close our relationship is going to be based upon how it is you choose to live. And we look at this and we go, wow, okay. God's given me access to have this abundant life. But what does that look like? Right? What does abundant life look like? Well, it looks like this. It's absent of fear. It's absent of jealousy. It's absent of loneliness. It's absence of strife, hatred, self-loathing. It's absent of disappointment. It's also absent of bitterness. And if we run down this list, fear, jealousy, loneliness, strife, hatred, self-loathing, disappointment, and bitterness, I think a lot of us are very familiar with those terms. They might even mark the way we live our lives. That tells us, right, if that's the evidence of a not abundant life, of a relationship where I'm not in a close intimate walk with God, then I can go, wow, if I'm experiencing those things, maybe I need to work on that. And what do I need to do? Turn my heart to the Lord and put faith in Him. Because guess what? If you have full faith in God and you know that He has all things in control, all things are in His hands, then listen, I would not be fearful. I would not be jealous. I would not be lonely because He's with me no matter where I may go. I'm not going to experience strife. I'm not going to experience hatred. I'm not going to be self-loathing. I'm going to love myself because God loves me. I'm not going to be disappointed because I've been given more than I deserve. And I'm sure not going to be bitter. Because you know what? God's forgiven me of so much. How could I not forgive others? My goodness, why are these things even in my life? Because guess what? My faith isn't where it needs to be. I need to work on me. It's available to every child of God on this earth. It is God's very best. He says, man, I got it for you. Listen, some will surrender. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to experience that. It's a small minority, unfortunately. They're going to experience that abundant life. They're going to really, really walk with God. And man, it is beautiful. And there are others that will have momentary times in their life where they'll go through periods, well guess what, they'll experience it at some point, in some level. But the mass, the, the great majority of people, they'll never experience it. They'll never even get a glimpse of what the abundant life looks like because they're not willing to let go control of their lives. They determine what their future holds. They determine what the day will hold. They determine, they determine, they put it all on themselves. And instead of trusting God, they trust in self, right? And God's saying, hey, listen, there's your problem. You've got to put your faith and trust in me. Either we live it God's way or we live it our way. God's way is clear. He's given us the boundaries that we're supposed to function within. He's shown us what it is, how it is we are to thrive. And he's told us what will also happen if we don't. Leviticus 20 verse 7 says this, sanctify yourselves therefore and be ye holy for I and the Lord your God. Sanctify yourselves, therefore. Sanctify means cut away, separate yourself away from the world. He's saying, don't live like the world, live like me. Follow my example. Love what I love and hate what I hate. Right? Listen to 1 Peter 1, verses 13 through 16. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, this is the one, okay? As obedient children, this is us. This is us talking to the church. Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. When you were lost, you did not know any better. You were ignorant. You were fallen. You were in that world. You were the, the, the God of this world ruled your life. He was your daddy. But guess what? That's no longer the case. You have a new father. And guess what? He's got standards and practices that will help you to succeed. So don't fashion yourself like you used to. Fashion it based upon him. Verse 15 But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Let your life reflect Christ, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Referencing back to Leviticus 20, verse 7. He's saying, Listen, God's offering you his very best. The whole point is whether we receive it or not is completely up to us. And then lastly, Caleb models for us the fact that he's a dad that lovingly exceeded his children's expectations. Verse 18 and 19. And it came to pass as she came unto him that she moved him to ask of her father a field. And she lighted off her ass and Caleb said unto her, What what wouldest thou? And who answered, 'Uh, Give me a blessing. For thou hast given me a south land. Give me also springs of water. And he gave her the upper springs and the nether springs. What we see here in Ashsa, and, and I hope I'm saying that right. She's not here, so I guess it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, is the fact that she gets her husband, Othniel, to go ask her dad for some land. Okay, So she does that, and of course he does that. That's his requirement, right? That's the part of the Hebrew law was the fact that he was to give her that land. But then he does something unusual, right? He goes to Ashsa herself, and he talks to her right? He goes to her and he says, hey, what is it that that you want? What is it you would like? And you notice the fact that she responds. And we see here the fact that he is going to, um, he's doing what is expected of him in regards to giving them the land, as I said. But now what's going to happen is he's more concerned actually with his daughter and her desires. And this is very cool. She says, give me a blessing for thou hast given me a Southland. You've given me land, but give me also springs of water. He's not going to do what he's required to do only. What we find is because he loves his daughter, he's going to exceed her expectations. He's going to to do more than he's supposed to, but also on top of that, we're going to see he's going to exceed her expectations. He not only meets her request, but he exceeds it. Because notice this, he says in verse 19, and he gave her the upper springs and the nether springs. She asked for one. And he says, you know what? Not only am I going to give you this, but I'm going to give you all this. Right? How beautiful. And what's it driven by? It's driven by love. He wants to bless his daughter. You know what? She did not fight the fact that he said, you know what? Whoever takes this land is going to get my daughter. We don't see any rebellion from her. She faithfully followed and said, Dad, you know what? Whatever you have for me, I will do. And he says, you know what? For your faithfulness, what do you want? I know I'm required to give you the land, and I've done that. But, sweetheart, what do you want? Springs, all right, why don't you just have all of them? I'll give it all to you. More than she asked for. And this is what the Lord wants to do for us. He wants to bless us, right? That's the heart of God. That's always God's heart. That's always what He wants. And He says, if you'll just be faithful, then I'll do that. I will bless you. But the problem is what happens for us is many times we function based upon the blessing. I'll do it as long as you bless me. I'll do it as long as you give me what I want. And we make it about ourselves. It's not going to work. See, this is a daughter who loved her father and she submitted to his will. And that's what God wants from us. See, if we'll do God's will because we're submitted to him, because we love him, hey, do all that you do heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, not unto self. We do it for the glory of God. And God will bless, not because he's required to, no. Not because it's required to, but because he loves us. Right? And what do we see in Caleb and Asha? We see a loving father blessing his obedient child. And you remember what first what Second Corinthians six said? Verse 17, 18, Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. A father blessing his obedient child, right? Is this our relationship with God? Is this how it is? Have we come out from among them? Have we sanctified ourselves from the world, right? Have we, have we set ourselves apart? Have we stopped touching the unclean thing? Are there things in our lives that we are touching that we should have no business near, are the things we listen to, things that we watch, things that we we consume, things that we are involved in that we should not be. We know in our hearts. We talked about it last week. We talked about the boundaries. If you have to question yourself and you go, should I? Don't. If there's a question, don't. Don't get to the boundary and see how close you can get. I'm not outside. I'm not over the line not over the line. You're touching the line, but I'm not over it. That's how we, we're like little kids. How close can I get? No, what if we just said, you know what? No, nah, I'm staying inside because I love you, mom, because I love you, dad. I'll keep your boundaries. And guess what? That boundary's not there because they want to limit us. It's so that we can succeed. They want us to flourish. And that's the whole purpose with God. His whole reasoning is to cause us to flourish for us to be thriving in our lives. That's what God wants for us. And it's that love relationship of a father and a child. The question is, so many times we're struggling with these issues of getting away from the world and stop touching the unclean thing. Because if we will do that, God says he will receive us as sons and daughters. Sons and daughters and our loving Lord. He blesses us accordingly. Listen to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. I'm almost done, I promise. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height to get to know God, really know Him through an intimate relationship And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, we can't even comprehend it, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, notice, exceedingly, abundantly, all that we could ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all the ages world without and God says I want to exceed your expectations I want to bless you I want a love relationship with you listen it'll pass with knowledge you won't even understand it it'll be so incredible and there are some of us man and we have felt that relationship and man it just you can't even describe it and the fact that people would deny that God even exists man the ignorance of this world is so heartbreaking but you know what what are lost people going to do act like lost people Because guess what? Prior to the night that I got saved, I used God's name as a curse word every single day of my life, pretty much it seemed like. I lived completely contrary to God in every way, shape that I possibly could. Because guess what? I didn't know any different. I was ignorant to the truth. But once God opens your eyes and once you possess the spirit of God, man, you have got a responsibility to know the love of Christ, as it says. You notice what verse 20 says. Just like Asha, We have a loving father that doesn't just want to bless us with the minimum. No, he wants to exceed it. Verse 20 says, him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above. Man, that just makes me want to. Yes, we got this. (laughs) Above, perfect timing. We could ask or think, right? (laughs) Caleb knew God's heart. This is the key. How can Caleb function the way that he does? Because he knows God's heart. The Bible says he wholly followed the Lord. God blessed him mightily for his faithfulness and then he blessed his family mightily for theirs. See, Caleb was a follower of God but as we see today, he was also a picture of God. And guess who else has the same exact responsibility? The Bible says that we are followers of Christ and that we are representatives of Christ. What does it say in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20? Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is a representative, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead. This is the message to the world. Be ye reconciled to God. That's the message, man. That's it. To be a Christian means that our lives are Christ-like. Not only my following the Lord, but I represent the Lord. Caleb is an amazing example of that. He followed the Lord. He wholly followed the Lord, and he represented Him in every aspect of the way that he lived his life. And I leave you with this, Psalm 37, verse 3 through 5. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord. And notice this part, and He shall give thee The desires of thine heart commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him. Do you do your part and he shall bring it to pass a faithful God who loves his children, who wants to bless them. Caleb's life, his choices, the way that he loved his family. They all reflected a picture of the father. The question we have to ask ourselves is if we consider our Christian walk, the way we live our lives, the choices we make, the way we love our family, what image are we reflecting to the world around us? Because the only Jesus that most of this world's ever going to see is the one it sees in us. Caleb gives us a great example. But guess what? Every day, We should be working on refining the image of Christ in our lives. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, for your love for us, and Lord, for the beautiful example from Caleb. Thank you for using your word uh, to enlighten us, to teach us, to show us the truths that, God, we desperately, desperately need as your people. God, I praise you and thank you for who you are and what you've done in my heart through this message. And I do pray for my brothers and sisters. Lord, those today that are working on refining that image, that image of you in them. Lord, would you help my brothers and sisters? God, would you lift them up? God, would you bring to understanding and recognition those things they need to work on? Father, would you just give them some grace? Lord, would you give them some mercy as you draw them through the adversities of life and teach them how to look more like you? God, would you bless my brothers and sisters and use their lives, God, to touch those around them? with their heads bowed and with their eyes closed if you're here today and you say listen you know what I don't necessarily know about my relationship with God there are a lot of people that are religious in this world that are going to hell just so you know lots of people they know who God is but that doesn't mean they're saved see to be saved means you've given your heart to Christ it's one thing to believe in God it's another one to to believe he exists it's another to read the Bible it's another one to pray people can do all those things and yet still go to hell recognize the fact that salvation is a matter of surrendering to the draw of God on our hearts recognizing the fact that we are lost, that on our own, we are in dire need of a Savior. Jesus loves us, and because of that love, that's why He went to the cross. That's why He suffered. That's why He died. And so if you're here today and you say, listen, I don't know that I've ever been reconciled to God. I believe in Him, but there's never been a moment in my life when I've surrendered my heart to Him. You have that opportunity today. There is no magic prayer. There is no ceremony involved. It is a broken heart calling out to a loving God who's ready to restore you. If you suffer with all those issues we talked about, grief, fear, anger, anxiety, depression, whatever else it is, maybe you need Christ. Maybe you're a believer and you just need to turn your heart back to God. But if you've never received Christ, you're watching this recorded or you're watching this live, and you want to receive Christ, it does not take a preacher. It's your heart and God. He's calling out to you. All you have to do is surrender. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ, I'm going to guide you. But again, it's not the words of this prayer that will save you. God's listening only to your heart. So their heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ, repeat after me in your heart and mind. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I am so sorry for my sins. I know in my heart that I've been separated from you and I now understand that you love me in spite of it. God, would you help me right now to surrender my will? In this moment, I come to you in need of a Savior, and I'm asking you right now to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sin, to save my soul, and give me a home in heaven. By faith, I receive you, Jesus Christ, as my Savior. Help me now to live for you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.